Hey there, I'm Christopher Schoenwald, and welcome to Life As A, a show intently focused on helping people find their professional pathway by exploring and unearthing the details of jobs from around the world. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to throw this out there. I have a channel over on YouTube, Life As A, dot dot, which basically hosts highlights from these audio conversations that I have with these great guests. They typically run 10 to 15 minutes, and they're there to kind of present a different vantage point. You know, for people that aren't into audio, aren't into podcasts, but are still looking for career advice, ideas, help, all that great stuff, send them over to YouTube. Like I said, life as a dot dot. And if you do get over there, I would love, love, love that like or subscribe. I mean, it's the best way to let that algorithm know that the content is worth sharing and should be out there. So anyway, I do thank you for letting me plug this a little bit, but I think it's about time to get into today's episode. Not sure if you're aware, but the world of podcasting has been exploding. I mean, get this. It's expected that there will be over 100 million active listeners in the U.S. alone very soon. And there's a genre for just about every interest you could ever have. I mean, heck, take this show, covering careers for young people. Pretty niche, right? Well, it also has a place, as does the content today's guest, Chad Shanai, specializes in children's media. He's an awarded children's media writer and podcast producer, and he's been doing it for several years, all the while racking up award and acclaim for his work. During today's chat, you're going to be given an opportunity to explore this world of professional podcasting as far as all it represents and offers to those within it. You're going to get this exciting look at an industry and profession that is still very much developing in scope and opportunity. So, I mean, if you're looking to take your interest in podcasting to another level, and possibly carve out a career, buckle up for this episode, because Chad will have you sorted on all the details. All right, well, let me more formally introduce Chad to you, and we can launch into things. Chad Chennai is a freelance children's media writer and podcast producer, and likes to joke that he gets to be nice for a living. He's made it a career goal to spread kindness by emphasizing emotional intelligence and acceptance in the work he does. And Chad is a co-founder of the feminist fairy tales podcast, Girl Tales with Rebecca Cunningham, which is currently in its sixth season and won the 2023 Webby Award for Best Podcast Episode, Kids and Family. And for those not in the know, I mean, that's like the equivalent of the Grammy Award for entertainment. It's a big deal. Now, Chad was an intern on Chompers at Gimlet Media in 2019, where he learned all sides of podcast production. He then created the Mystery Recipe Podcast for America's Test Kitchen Kids, which he wrote and produced for six seasons and had 3 million lifetime downloads. Chad has since gone on to start a freelance career and has worked as a writer and or producer for the likes of Spotify, Neon Hum, Realm Media, Wondery, Tonys, and more. He was a Webby honoree for Best Podcast Writing in 2021 and 2022, and a mentor with the Spotify Sound Up program and the Podcast Academy. Now, after having very few queer role models in media growing up, Chad is focused on diverse representation of all kinds in his work, with a specific focus on queer, neurodiverse, and disabled communities. And while his desire to include queer and non-binary characters in his work is important, 
Chad has found it's been even more important to use this self-discovery to empower inclusive work beyond his various intersecting identities. When kids consume media, they're constantly looking for a reflection of themselves. And representation is a way to tell a child that they're valid. Providing an opportunity for every child to see themselves in the media they consume is a major driving factor in Chad's work. So with all of this noted, here is my conversation with Chad Shenai. Yeah, so welcome to the program. How are you doing today, Chad? I'm doing great, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited for this. I mean, I was just thinking before recording with you here, I've been involved in speaking with a number of people, over 100 professionals, but I haven't really delved too deeply into the world of podcasting, despite myself being embedded within it all. So for that alone, I'm really excited to, to chat with you today. Yeah, I hope it gets a little meta. That'll be fun today, for sure. Absolutely. All right, well, I do have this first segment lined up. It's something called Coloring Wikipedia. As my listeners know, it's a segment where I just read off a definition or two related to what the guest is all about. And I couldn't find a workable definition from Wikipedia on media writer, which was a bit surprising. So I did kind of have to, uh, to work around that a little bit. And I did find something for content writer from Better Team, a job site. I'm going to read that off in a second. And I also have you down for podcast producer from, again, another job site, Indeed. So I'll read these off for you. And then maybe after you could comment. Does that sound okay? Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. So here we go. Content writer. Content writers produce relevant content for websites, blogs, articles, white papers, product descriptions, and social media platforms. They create content that is specifically crafted to capture the attention of a particular target audience. There you go. There's the first one. Next up, podcast producer. A podcast producer oversees a podcast strategy and efforts to be successful and engaging with audiences. They have many duties in production management, scheduling, audio management, marketing, and overall leadership. There you go. Admittedly, it might be a bit to unpack there, but uh, all the same, what would you say to those two definitions? How well do they align with what you do? It's interesting that they're both pretty broad because I think that does align with the job. I've been a producer on different projects and done entirely different things on both projects and still was called a producer. And so it really, a lot of it I find is kind of case by case and depends on the type of project you're working on and the, the type of team you're working with as well. I think content writer, that all made sense to me, admittedly. I don't really know what white pages are these days, but for the rest <laughs> of it, it's, it's really the part that struck me was writing for a particular audience in mind. And I think no matter what type of content creator, content writer you are, you are always kind of imagining that audience. And for me, that audience is young people. It's kids and children. And so, yeah, being able to, to specify that I'm a content writer, I write mostly for podcasts, I have written books and I continue to do so, but all of the things I write do have that common audience member in mind. So that's kind of the connective tissue for me. Okay. Getting back to the definition on producer, I mean, producer at times is this big catch-all word you're alluding to. I'd be curious about some of the responsibilities that may be a little bit unusual based, you know, project to project or whatever you're working on that, that kind of go beyond what like the stock definition that we just went over. Yeah, definitely. I think it was interesting for me. I have a, a background in theater. And so I came from the theater world in New York and a producer was the person who had the money and paid the bills. And that is very different in podcasting. Sometimes a producer does have the money on an indie pod, but for the most part, a producer is someone who is really 
making the thing happen. And so sometimes that's very hands-on and a producer can bring a recording device to a location and interview a person or, you know, work with actors for a scripted show and kind of direct that performance or cast that performance. It, it really depends on what you're doing, but I think of producing as making the product itself and doing whatever kind of needs to happen in order to make that show, whatever the show might be. Yeah, I like that. I like that perspective. It kind of, you know, colors it in a different way, I think, for a lot of people. And I suppose as well, like working within that space, if you're going into a new project, you don't ever fully know <laughs> exactly what you're going to be involved in, which could be a bit frightening at times, but also maybe a bit exciting too, because you could be pushing out to new areas or, you know, pushing your own boundaries in professional development, I'm guessing. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. It's really like, okay, you've hired me to make this show. I'm going to figure out the best way to make this show with you. And the results of that is different kind of almost every time in a really fun way. All right. Well, this might also be a nice point or an opportune time to learn a little bit more about your work. I mean, I, I write off the top some of your bio information, some of your work experiences, you know, your focus on children's media. But uh, maybe you could expand a little bit on that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I had mentioned before, I have a background in theater. I worked in theater for a number of years. I was doing experimental opera and things like that off-Broadway with a couple groups, which was super fun. But it was all very abstract. It wasn't very direct. And so I was starting to feel like, okay, we're doing this show that's about Galileo, for example, but I don't know if the audience knows anything about Galileo after watching this play. you know. And so I was sort of picking my brain, like, what can I do where I can just be more direct and be really straightforward with why we're making this content, what the content's about, the lesson that I hope you get from it. And from there, kids' content really just jumped out at me because not only can I, you know, say directly what I'm trying to say, but I want to repeat it two or three times. I want to then write a song about it, and then we're going to recap it at the end. And so that kind of jumped out at me as, oh, okay, this is sort of the answer that I've been looking for. And from there, it has really been a little bit of a piecemeal in terms of putting a career together. It's a very new industry. And a lot of people are making kids' pods, and they're fantastic. But a lot of people are independent producers, and they're kind of making the show on their own, and there's not a ton of money for a lot of these indie pods yet. And so in terms of making a career, it's, it's doing a little bit of a lot of things for a lot of different shows. Originally, got a full-time job with America's Test Kitchen, writing and producing their kids' podcast full-time for three years, which was amazing. And that show ended. And from there, I kind of said, okay... I can find one other show, find another big project to land on, or I can see if there's enough small tasks to do, ways to pitch in on a variety of different shows in order to kind of put enough of a career together to pay the bills. And so I'm going with that route now. A long way to answer your question of what do I actually do for work? But because I'm doing that, right now I'm working on four or five different shows. I do different things for all of those shows, depending on what the show is and what stage of development it's in. A lot of what I'm doing now is booking, and so I'm working on a parenting entrepreneurial podcast that's sort of a little bit separate from kids and family. Most of my work right now on that show is just trying to book guests, and so doing guest outreach based on who the host is interested in talking to, trying to coordinate those schedules and get everyone in the same room at the same time to record which is a challenge. Mm -hmm. um, I, yeah, I, I know about this. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. So booking is a big part of it for, for some shows. It hasn't been in the past. It just happens to be for me right now. And you know, at that show, I also do edit after the interview. And so I'll cut down 
an hour-long conversation into half an hour, 45 minutes, clear out all the breaths and the ums and the sneezes, and just make sure the conversation is flowing. And so if we take a really unexpected left turn, like we have to try and figure out, does it make sense as a listener following? If not, should we cut that left turn and just try and keep a single topic? Things like that. So that's a pretty standard task that a producer would do. For other shows, I I am just a writer. And so I just had a meeting this morning where we're talking about an episode of a kid's podcast that's going to be about springtime. And what does it mean when spring comes? And why do things come to life all of a sudden? What's the science behind it? What are some of the myths behind it? So I'm writing tales like that. And I am doing sound design. And so a big part of it as well is fiction podcasts, some of which I've written, some of which I haven't written, getting all the actors' vocals in organizing all the vocals, putting music behind it, putting footsteps, putting sound design and kind of bringing that fictional world to life. That is definitely my favorite part of it. Sounds fun. Not the part that you get to do the most. That's sort of like <laughs> the finishing touches. It never works that way, does it? The most fun thing is not the thing you spend your whole day doing, but that is also for a fiction pod, pretty standard for a producer to, to do work like that. Yeah, it sounds like a lot. Yeah. In terms of skills, organizational skills, like that word right there, organization, is just kind of like flashing in my mind as you're listing off all the different responsibilities and all these different projects on the go. That must be a big part of, you know, what you're involved in and, and a critical skill to have, you know? Yes. Yeah. And something that, I mean, I, like I had mentioned, I'd been working full-time for one company for years and I'm nine to 10 months into a freelance career at you know, a big company I'm working on one show, we had a production manager and she was amazing. And I knew she was amazing, but you don't realize how amazing someone is until you don't have their help anymore. (laughs) Yeah, right. But I'm essentially transitioning to being my own production manager and managing the production of four shows instead of one, which is doable. It's not as crazy as it sounds because I'm not doing every step of every show. I just have to keep track of what is my responsibility? When does it start? When does it end? Am I hitting those deadlines? So in in terms of this next segment, I I think you've spoken quite a bit already what it relates to a day in the life, but maybe we could go a little further, a step further, perhaps, where, like you said, you're juggling all these different shows. So how does that work itself out over the course of a day or maybe a week? Are you structuring it like this is one day for this program or this morning segment is for this and then I'm going to transition over into this aspect or this program or how does all that come together? Again, I am still pretty new at it. So I'm, I, I would say 10 months into working multiple shows at once. But I think a background in theater, anyone who has done theater kind of has those multitasking skills. So I think that's helpful. My day is very different depending on when my due dates are. And so I might talk about it as a week because that tends to be a little bit more consistent. But a couple of the shows that I work on have weekly check-in meetings. And so we'll all just get together with everyone who's on the show and talk about what episode we're working on or talking about what's going to happen that week. So I'll have two or three of those meetings per week, one for each show. And I try and split up my day based on the task that I feel best prepared for and not necessarily like the show that I'm working on. And so for me, I'm not the most creative in the mornings. I'm not a huge morning person. And so it's a little indulgent, but I do start my workday around like nine or 10. And those first couple hours for me are administrative stuff. I'm following up on my emails. I'm making invoices. Any type of booking that I might have to do, I find a little bit administrative. And so I do that kind of stuff in the morning. And then I'll take a little bit of a lunch with my dog and come back and get into some of the more creative work. And so maybe that will be writing a script. Maybe it will be sound designing an episode, filling out 
grant information or pitching a new show to someone, but whatever that kind of creative work is, I, I tend to do like a 12 to three or 12 to four time slot to really kind of crank out some of those fun projects. And then depending on how do something is, it might be a 7 p.m. pickup to like finish finish the job and get it across the finish line before the next day. Unfortunately, it's not the most uncommon thing to have to do, but I try and avoid it whenever possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I like that. I think it gives great perspective for listeners, you know, in terms of how things are structured. But even beyond that, I also like the point of knowing yourself, you know, knowing when is going to be the best time for creative work. When is a better point for you to be doing, like you said, the administrative and, and some of the things that, you know, don't require as much creative thought, perhaps. I think that's an important sort of lesson for for people to get into any line of work, but in particular, like maybe creative industries and really have to know yourself and when is going to be the opportunity time. And if you have that ability to kind of control and shift your schedule around to make that work. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's great. Really great insight there. Yeah. It's important too, to like not get stuck in it. Like sometimes it'll be three o'clock and I'm like, okay, I'm in creative mode, but for whatever reason, the script is not good. Like I'm writing and it's not coming out or I just have some block. And then I give myself permission to switch over to something mindless, even though it's three o'clock, just so I can keep moving something forward, which I think is important for sure. Well, we can slip into this other segment, a pathways one, and you've already kind of alluded to, you know, how you sort of made your way into this world. You know, you have this theater background and, and some of your work experiences as well. But all the same, I'd like to, to kind of like delve into that a little bit deeper if we could. And also acknowledging the fact that podcasting, you know, I think 2004 is when it officially, unofficially sort of kicked off, but it's been within the last handful of years where it's really, truly exploded. And I'm guessing here that when you're going through school, you probably had no idea that this is where you were going to end up. Is that an accurate assumption that I'm making here or or what? Yes. Yeah, that's entirely true. I think I had started listening to podcasts like towards the end of my college career, which was like 2006, 2007. But I did not know kids podcasting was a thing for years after that. And so it was definitely not what I thought I would be doing. In terms of the children's media side of things, would you say that in your youth, perhaps, like that was an area that was always attractive to you? Like you you wanted to maybe get into that sphere in some capacity, but you didn't know exactly where? I think yes and no. I definitely was a big TV kid growing up. I was Nickelodeon all day, every day. And I was passionate about it. I loved those shows. I loved the characters. I didn't think of myself as someone who could make that. I didn't think about people making it. But I just knew that Rocket Power is coming on. Doug is coming on. Like, I wanted to watch these things every time I could, you know. And so I definitely knew it was fun and knew it was of interest to me. But I just didn't imagine working in kids' content was, like, a job that someone could have. And so after college, it was kind of exciting to wind up here, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've got this other segment here, a Q&A discovery. You can kind of continue this back and forth. And I mean, to this point in your career, you've had or you've been part of some rather rewarding moments and, and had some accolades come your way in terms of the Webby Award for Best Podcast Episode, Kids and Family, 2023. That's certainly no joke. That's a big one for you. You've also been part of some, you know, freelancing for some of the biggest brands and companies in your space, including Spotify, Neon Hum, Realm Media, Wondery, Tony's, and others. You know, and outside of, you know, the standard and stock sort of things you can attribute your success to, such as hard work and determination, I'm assuming that's been part of it. But outside of that, what else would you say has really helped fuel you to this point and, and allowing you to 
you know, achieve at the level you have been. I think that's very kind of you to phrase it that way. So thank you. It's sometimes hard to feel those achievements, but I hear you. It's yeah, great. no, no, no. Like that, that Webby <laughs> award for sure. I mean, that is, that is something unto itself. Yes. And then again, working for a lot of those companies, you're, you're not going to be stepping into those spaces unless you have some sort of game. So yeah, I wouldn't be too humble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. I think a big part of it for me is being mission driven. I think so many people want to work in kids content that it really is a privilege to break through and to be able to work in children's content. And I think a lot of it is skill and hard work. Like you said, a lot of it is luck. And so being you know, grateful to be here is something that you'll find across the kids media industry. Everyone's just like really happy to be doing the work they're doing, grateful to do the work that they're doing. And in my experience, take it very seriously. So I think taking kids content seriously, taking kids seriously and having sort of a strong mission or a strong why behind why you're driven to do this and what you're hoping to accomplish really helps you both in those networking conversations where you're trying to talk to someone who's in the industry about, you know, what makes you special or what makes you want to to do it, you know, having all of that kind of established for yourself, not only like gets me up in the morning, but I think people respond to it and can see it in the conversations that I have and the type of work that I try and make. Well, passion certainly goes a long ways and it's in, you know, almost every book of, you know, business or entrepreneurship, it, it certainly plays a big role. And like you said, I like that point, you know, it, you notice it within people. And I think that that's a spark unto itself and allows for discussion to go further. And certainly for, like you said, you know, networking opportunities. I think one step further, passion is really important, but it's also very broad, you know? And so like you can be passionate about something, but why are you passionate about it? And what are you hoping to accomplish are really important questions. I think in, if you want to work in media and like, I'm passionate about kids content for sure, but what I want to do is make an opportunity for every type of child to see themselves in the work that they're watching, you know, in the work that I'm making. And so that like very specific goal is actionable helps to keep me focused on the type of projects I want to take on. And it helps people keep me in mind for specific types of projects, as opposed to someone who's just wanting to do a little bit of everything. You, you might be applicable for more things, but you might not be the first person to come to mind. There you go. I think in a roundabout way, you just answered that original question that I asked, you know, what, what you attribute your success to. I think it's it's maybe a mindset like that, you know, like, like I think that really distinguishes a lot of people. I think that's such a great point. You know, you could be passionate about something, as you said, but if it's just a really general, you know, that, that can get you a certain point. But when you kind of refine it and narrow it down to something and you have this mission attached to it, like you said, that's actionable. Like That's where a lot of the results can can be derived from. So yeah, I like that. I think it's a really, really yeah, great point. There. I definitely agree. I was super passionate about theater, but I wasn't trying to accomplish anything in my theater career. And I think that definitely was noticeable, you know. One other quick question here too. You'd mentioned that a lot of people are interested in getting into this space, this children's media space. Again, with podcasting exploding right now, I, I can imagine that. But is that making things that much more competitive? Have you noticed like year to year things being ratcheted up in that, in that sense? I think kids podcasting especially is still in like a, what's the phrase, rising waters, raise all boats kind of situation where like it's not necessarily, yes, it's competitive. There are only a certain number of companies who are paying livable wages to do this work. And so like getting in and getting the attention of those people is competitive, but there are so many shows made by people who, like I said, are trying to accomplish a mission 
They're working on a project with their family. They are having fun with a sketch comedy group. You know, it's there's a lot of people in the industry who are excited about making their show and who are less focused on making a thriving career. And I think we will get to a point where everyone is making a thriving career. I don't know if we're there yet, but I don't think that the industry is filled with sort of this competitive vibe. I think the vibe is still do your show. You're amazing. Let me know how I can help you. We need something like this. Uh, this doesn't exist yet. You know, what's, what's the angle of your show that doesn't exist yet? Like trying to, to lift each other up, I think is, is what you'll find more than any kind of competition. That's another question here. What are some of the biggest challenges that you're facing within the work that you're involved in? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes back to kids podcasting being so new. And so more so four or five years ago than today, but a lot of the conversations you would have with brands or with bigger companies or advertisers was first acknowledging or telling them for the first time that kids podcasts exist and that kids and parents are listening to podcasts. It's still kind of a hurdle to overcome before we can then have any other conversation we want to have, whether it be about advertising, branded content, whatever. You have to start by convincing people that kids' podcasts are here to stay and they have a real audience that really is listening to whatever we want to tell them, you know? And so that's definitely a big one. You also, in children's content, have a lot of bigger brands or companies that don't give enough attention to writing for kids in the sense that they think it's kind of just a simplified version of writing for adults. You don't necessarily have to have a kid's content writer to write your show. And I've come into shows as an editor, as a, you know, doing sound design and things like that, where they just didn't really bother to try and bring a kid's content writer in. And it kind of shows in the content itself. It's its its own language when you're talking to kids. I would assume so. It's a completely different world. I mean, that, that yeah, may, maybe that speaks to the point of the industry still not being evolved enough to, to source enough talent to do that. I, I don't know, but like it would seem like a bit of a no-brainer that, you know. Yeah, I, I would think so too. I think a lot of people do know that it is kind of a special thing, but those are often the brands that are working in kids' content across the board. You know, other branded shows with, from bigger companies that care less about the content and more about the marketing opportunities. Like those are the customers that I've seen aren't necessarily giving writing for kids content as much weight as they could. And so that is definitely a challenge and it creates other challenges down the road of editing. Hi, this actually doesn't make sense. This language isn't quite accessible to the age group you're hoping for. The topics are too complicated. It just gets really messy. And so like figuring that out from the writing stage is really important. Are you noticing a shift in that sense though? Yeah, most definitely. I think, you know, I haven't been in the industry for long, but the industry hasn't been an industry for long either. Right. Four or five years ago, I think it was way more common than it is today. I do sometimes still hear of it, but for the most part, there are a ton more people writing for kids podcasts now than there were five years ago, for sure. I have this other question here, you know, in researching for this talk, I came to understand that, you know, inclusion and representation are important aspects to the work that you do. In fact, you note them to be guiding principles. I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you mean by this. Yeah, totally. I think this plays in a lot to the sort of mission-driven work that I was talking about earlier. But for me, representation is the cornerstone of why I do children's content. I think as a queer person, I was growing up and I did not have a ton of role models, especially in children's content. I did not have role models, but even 
you know, the, the one thing I can think of was watching Graham Norton's late night talk show growing up, and that was not for kids. And so it's not positive childhood representation of queer people, right? And that led me to be ashamed for a number of years of who I was. I thought it was something that was a defect, something that was not right, something I need to hide. And I think just the simple fact of seeing someone who was like me exist in the media, in a cartoon, on a TV show, would have saved me a lot of time in trying to untangle those feelings. And that that lesson for me applies to all types of representation. And so queer representation in kids' content, I think, is very important and is a very polarizing conversation right now, especially. But I have taken that moment to say, okay, we need better representation for all types of children, for people who are differently abled, people who are disabled, people, you know, just of any type of background. It's really important to be able to see yourself in the media you're consuming Otherwise, you don't know what's possible, you know. And so that, for me, is is really why kids' content is so important. You still have time to tell a child that they are valid before they develop any feelings otherwise. And so I think, yeah, that's that's why representation is is a guiding principle for me. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's absolutely you know powerful. I think for for children to hear that for all the reasons that you just outlined, I and mean, critically important. And it, it's it's encouraging to hear that this is an area that is you know, developing further, I mean, still has a long ways to go in terms of children's media, perhaps. But the fact that you are still able to be, you know, building this into your work and, and allowing it to come through is, you know, it's got to be special, not only for yourself, of course, but for the the people that you are reaching for these children that are able to identify with this character and, and find some commonality and, you know, gain some sort of level of power themselves from it. Yeah, it's, 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 it must be a wonderful thing to be part of. Yeah, it is really fulfilling that feedback that we occasionally get, even if it's like two, three listeners based on a single character that we put months of work into, it means so, so much. It really, really makes it all worth it, 100%. Yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't imagine it not, uh, you know, creating that sort of impact for you. So I'm guessing like transitioning to this other question here, you, you must be, you know, heading into a fairly good spot right now career-wise. You know, you, you'd mentioned already, you know, transitioning into your own freelance work after working for rather respectable companies, having some award and accolade as we've already spoken about today, and having this opportunity to build in some meaningful impact to the work that you're doing. You know, what, what would you say to this in terms of where you're at right now with your career? Yeah, I am grateful for where I'm at in my career right now. I think a lot of hard work went into it and a lot of being in the right place at the right time also went into it. There's a number of opportunities that I got that weren't by chance, but there was definitely a chance element to it. And so I think you just have to stay grateful and stay humble. You know, I'm I'm still living in a one-bedroom apartment. You know, I do feel like I have the beginnings of a career and I'm really excited to keep doing this work but I am still in debt. I am not, you know, making any type of figures. And so it's it's not something that you do to reap the rewards immediately. You know, it's definitely, if it's going to be financially fruitful for me, it might not happen for years. And so I'm really, I'm getting into a place where I feel like I will be able to continue to pay my bills doing what I love in a way that's impactful for children. And so that is, all I could ever ask for. And hopefully my loans will get paid at some point, you know? 
<laughs> yeah, I hear you on that. Yeah, well, it's a good point that you bring up there too. I think, you know, like it's it's that sweet spot in between of, you know, obviously the financial side and the financial reward associated with a career. You, you want that, you need that for all these different reasons. Then also to that other side of like having fulfilling work, doing something that you love, having a mission, as we've already spoken about, attached to to what you're all about. There's value in that. And there's value in that not only in the moment, I think, of doing all of this. It's when you look back on it 10, 15, 20 years down the road. I'm guessing here that people, you know, maybe when they're retired or close to retirement, they're looking back at different points in their career and they're not thinking about, oh, I remember when I was 25 and I was making this much money. Perhaps some people do that. (laughs) But I'm guessing the majority of people are going to attach themselves to what the actual work was, what kind of impact that they were creating. And that's where the meaning is derived from. So if, if you've found some level of fulfillment at this stage in your career for the work that you're doing, I think, I think you're onto something. Yeah, I think undeniably, I feel so lucky to do what I'm doing. And that implies that I feel successful. You know, I feel like I've gotten somewhere, which is great. All right. Well, this might be a nice point to a transition to yet another segment of Water Cooler Story segment. And here I just ask you know, guests and listeners with a story related to their work. So I'm really keen to, to hear what you had for us today. Totally. Yeah. I mean, there's a ton of things I could talk about. One thing that came to mind when we talked about this a little bit earlier is a very fun reporting trip I got to take pretty early on with my work at America's Test Kitchen. And so America's Test Kitchen kids hired me to develop their children's podcast, Mystery Recipe, which is all about food science. And one of the interviews we were doing, I was trying to find someone who takes seawater and distills it down into sea salt and talk about what that process is, how they do it. And in doing that research, I found a monk who lives on Cape Cod. I'm forgetting his name, which is terrible. Um, Maybe I'll email you and tell you what his salt company is. But he has a saltern, which is like this little hut that they use to sort of boil and distill down the water. And he just has his own company, uses the saltern to pay for his religious practices. And so I got to go to Cape Cod, bring my little microphone. He has three giant fluffy poodles and we're all like crammed into this little shed and he's telling me how he's making salt and like full religious garb. And it was just like so interesting. He was really passionate about it. He was a great talker. And so I really just got to pet his dogs and quietly record him for the whole time. But it was just one of those moments where I was just like, what is my career? How am I? What am I doing right now? And I'm getting paid to do this. This is great. And then I got to go to some like right on the coast seafood restaurant and had the best bowl of clam chowder I've ever had. And so it was just a really good day for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it. I mean, that always strikes me within the creative industry. You you never fully know what you're going to be faced with, what, you know, what opportunities are going to come your way you know, things like that. And uh, how could that not be a fulfilling moment? Like just uh, so random in a sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. No, I know. I've spoken to a it's few different fun. people within creative spaces. And, and and these opportunities seemingly, you know, there's a pattern to it. They seem to come up fairly often at different points, but whenever they do come up, they're always a bit of a surprise all the same, if that makes any sense. You know? Yeah. And I think it really does require like a certain level of fearlessness. Like you don't know what you're going to be asked to do. And so like, am I okay getting on a train and going to talk to a monk about salt? Right. Sure. You know, like, yeah. let's see what that's like. I don't know, yeah. but I'm, I'm sure I could handle it, you know, and getting to a place with your skill set, with your equipment where you're like, okay, I don't know who this is going to be, especially in podcasting. You're going to go to some weird places and interview some interesting people. And so just like feeling that fearless feeling of 
there's only so much prep you can do. You just got to show up and do it. You yeah, know? no doubt. It's almost like an adventurous spirit almost is what you need as well. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, some podcasts you can record remotely, but mostly you want to just get there and, and be with the cool people doing cool things. All right. Well, we are rounding the bend in this last segment, a crystal ball segment. And as the name implies, we're looking towards the future, usually trans predictions, so on and so forth. And as we all know, I mean, media landscapes themselves are constantly changing, especially within the last five, seven, eight, nine years, right? In terms of how we consume content, you know, it's constantly in this state of flux. And again, we've spoken to this point already, podcasting itself is continually expanding. I'm just going to read off a few stats. You're probably familiar with these, but for listeners, you know, there's over 5 million podcasts globally uh, with over 70 million episodes between them. There are 464.7 million podcast listeners. This number is expected to reach over 500 million by the end of this year. And it's predicted that there will be over 100 million active podcast listeners in the US in 2024. So here's the big question for you, Chad. How do you project this space in terms of how it's going to evolve further? You know, any particular trends that you're keyed in on at the moment? Like a hundred, especially I think with kids podcasting. I'm I'm just always excited about the future. Being a part of the last six years of this industry and seeing how much has changed, I'm just like, okay, it's going to change a lot. It's already changed a lot. And so the changes that I think are going to happen are going to be rather big. I think a big one is going to be podcasting in classrooms and schools. I think it's definitely already there. There's lots of science shows, Tumble Science Pod, that are like specifically doing grant work and outreach in order to get into the classroom. But I think it's just podcasts are a great teaching tool. And so I think that's going to become more and more part of what's expected of you as a kid's podcaster is to sort of have that curriculum idea or have sort of how this plays into a classroom setting. And the other big thing I think is going to be advertisers. I think right now so many advertisers are understandably nervous about advertising on kids' content. There are more laws that you need to follow. There's more restrictions about what and how you can advertise on content that kids are listening to, but it's not impossible. And we have an industry full of people who understand those rules and are willing to work with any kind of brand that wants to be in that space. You can advertise on a kid's pod, even if you're selling power tools, you know, there's audience for it and there's opportunity for it and you can do it without breaking any rules. And I think it's just going to be a matter of time before brands are more trusting in that and sort of have the experience or have, are working with an agency that has the experience to know this is a certain type of parent that the show has. And so we can advertise certain things to that parent. I think that's still a big missed opportunity that people are slowly kind of trickling in on. I hope more and more people get more trusting in that. Hmm. I mean, those numbers that I was just, like the stats I was just reading off would certainly indicate like interest from advertisers. Like how can they not be, you know, getting into these spaces and, and sussing all of this out? Yeah, yeah, that said, I mean, definitely. there are some, some complicating factors within all of this as well that, that need to be worked out. And that kind of strikes me as despite all of this and, and the expansion that it's experiencing right now, this is still an area that is still very much in flux. It's still developing in a lot of respects, which I think presents a lot of one opportunity, excitement, and then, of course, a bit of challenge in there as well. And I think I'm guessing like people like yourself that are embedded within it all, you have to understand all of that, of course, which I'm sure you do, you know, like. You don't fully know where it's going, but you're kind of long for that ride. And, and it must be exciting, like I said, to, to see where it is sort of evolving towards. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think as a human being, like my career has been storytelling. And so starting in theater, moving into podcasting, 
I think podcasting is going to stay. I think kids podcasting is not going anywhere, but if it does, then it will transform into some other form of audio storytelling that I will be excited to hop in on. And so it's definitely, it's, it's a changing industry and that's what makes it fun. And like you said, it also, what it's what makes it interesting and exciting and worth sticking around for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I got one more question here in, in terms of, I guess, AI. You know, I should just be renaming the segment, to be honest, like the, the AI segment, because it comes up each and every time, no matter <laughs> what industry, no matter what type of guest I'm speaking with. But in terms of, yeah. you know, podcasting and whatnot, and, you know, media writing in particular, AI has already left an impact on, say, copywriting, right? So in terms of getting into the creative aspects, I mean, there was a Hollywood strike not long ago, really, kind of covering a lot of these issues within media and entertainment and AI and technology and all of this stuff, you know. I'd be curious from your perspective, you know, how do you view something like that in terms of, you know, maybe a threat or an opportunity? How, how do you look at it? I think I don't look at it as a threat. I think based on where the technology is now, sure, it is quickly improving and will continue to quickly improve. But the industry is just so new and there are so many people who are, like I said, so mission driven. That's like, that's the part of it that robots can't replace and it's so fundamental to children's content like why you are making that content is such a big question for kids content that i don't know that a robot can really handle those whys and so even if i do not use ai for any type of writing even if other people do the robot is not going to make the reason for your writing and so if you don't have that then the content's not going to be something that we need to worry about in the industry, you know, and I don't think a computer can fake that. I do think it's great for administrative tasks. And so things like booking, things like finding guest suggestions, expert suggestions, it's just for me, I use it sometimes like a smarter Google search, but I don't use it to like create any content. Yeah, I think it's a really insightful point, you know, kind of the the, the purity, I mean, the context of, of what you're doing, like, like you said, like the AI and the robots themselves can't really get to that point yet. And, uh, you know, thankfully, so I think there's a lot of content that doesn't have that heart. I don't want to name names, but that's the type of content that I think AI can take over pretty quickly. But it's not the type of content that I'm trying to make, or the people that I care about are trying to listen to. And so it, to me, it's not a super big threat. I've got to say, Chad, I mean, I've absolutely loved this conversation I mean, from start to finish. I can't believe we've blown through it already. Thanks for coming on the program and, and sharing all of this. I think listeners are really going to appreciate it all and, and have a much better and deeper understanding of you know the work that you're involved in. So yeah, thanks again. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to talk about kids podcasting. Any families listening who aren't already listening to kids podcasts, they exist, they're out there. And anyone who's interested in working in kids podcasting, I would love to talk to you. And so feel free to find me, to reach out a big part of my day and a lot of kids content creators day is just meeting with people who are trying to break into the industry and sharing some of the things that we learned. And so I'm always excited to do that with new folks. Now, for those interested in learning more about Chad and his work, you can do so via LinkedIn. You can also find him at his personal website, chadshanai.com. And for reference, all this information, including links will be in the show notes. And hey, I mean, if you like today's show, please be sure to tell a friend and share. To show further support, you can rate, review, and subscribe wherever you access your podcasts. As I mentioned off the top, head on over to YouTube. I do have video highlights of these conversations, you know, 10 to 15 minute videos. 
can kind of take things in in a different manner. And if you do get over there, would love, love, love that like or subscribe. And finally, don't forget to join us on the next episode of Life As A, where we'll continue to explore and unearth the details of professions and the people behind them. I'm your host, Christopher Schoenwald. Until next time, stay curious about life and living. Thank you.